In order to keep bringing you guys tons of free content, we work with brand partners who you'll hear from in this episode, including an advertisement from Zopa Bank. Before we get started on this episode, I've got to let you know that nothing in this episode should be taken as financial advice and make sure you speak to a professional if you have any further questions. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Talk 20s podcast. And you'll notice things look a little bit different today if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify. Hello, more on that in a second, but let me introduce today's guest on the podcast. We're joined by Gabriel Nussbaum, who is a finance content creator. Hello, Gabriel. Hello. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. We cannot ignore the gorgeous backdrop that we're sat in front of today. Yeah, it's a shame that it, our backs are to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So we We've come down to London. You guys who listen to the podcast religiously will know that we usually record our podcast in our studio in Liverpool. But today we've come down to your neck of the woods, which is London. Yeah, appreciate that. Saves me a commute to Liverpool. It does. (laughs) (laughs) And we've set up in our, our headline sponsors, Zopa's offices, because just look at that view. Like, it's stunning. Like, we'd have been silly to go to a normal studio in London when we could have recorded in front of Such that. Such a shame for those listening and not watching, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Zopa, for allowing us to be here. And for you guys who don't know who Zopa are, they are one of the UK's leading digital banks. And they're all about fair, simple and easy to use financial products. You can download the app by searching for Zopa, that's Z-O-P-A, on any of the app stores. Uh, hashtag ad, basically. Amazing. <laughs> Now that we've got all of that out of the way, we can chat a little bit more about you, Gabriel. Tell us a little bit more about you, why you got into finance content creation and why you want to come on the Talk 20s podcast. That is a lot of questions. So I'll try and break it down. (laughs) How did I get into content creation? I suppose finance. So it started as a hobby Mm -hmm. during lockdown, as I feel like a lot of people on this podcast have probably said before. Mm -hmm. Um, I started, I graduated from uni in 2020 uh, during lockdown, uh, started my career, found that I had a lot more time on my hands, which is weird because most people go to uni, think that they've got time on their hands there. I studied engineering, so that was not the case. <laughs> um, all of a sudden I was doing a job that ended at 5pm and I was like, wow, there's so much evening time. Yeah. Uh, so I started creating content, not even specifically on finance. Uh, I was teaching all things, I suppose, that you would learn outside the classroom, mm-hmm. speaking graduate schemes, uh, general personal development, health, lifestyle, and of course, finance was one of those uh, subcategories. And I suppose over the six months of honing my skills after I started uh, in the summer of 2020, uh, I started to realise very quickly that those were far too many topics for me to talk about. Mm. And it was also quite apparent I was actually working in finance at the time um, at Barclays. I enjoyed the subject the most, I had the most to talk about. It, It was kind of ticked all of the buckets of which one of those I should speak about. So I settled on that. And as I settled on that, uh, TikTok came into my attention span. I I know that a lot of people knew about it well before me, Mm -hmm. but beginning of 2021, someone said, why don't you create on TikTok? I went, because I don't dance. They said, try something different. So I tried something (laughs) different. And I was really fortunate that it took off quite quickly. I think within two weeks, I had my first viral video. Within one month, I had 100,000 followers. Within six months, a million. So things have gone stratospheric since then. Um, And that is how I got into being a financial content creator. Mm-hmm. That was really a whistle-stop tour, but yes. I think I'm sure there's lots of nuance that we will jump into throughout the the podcast. But I think one of the things that a lot of people who they look at your page right now, they will see that you interview a lot of people about their salaries. Mm-hmm. Normally you're in London because that's where you're based. Yeah. What have you learned from interviewing hundreds of people on the streets about how much they earn? 
Uh, firstly, that Londoners do not want to stop and talk to a camera. That, <laughs> that is a lot. number one. So if you are someone that gets approached with a camera and you have a little like bit of time on your hands for, <laughs> for the sake of all of us TikTokers out there, please come and say uh, yes to us. Um, I suppose the reason that I'm doing it is about this idea of financial transparency. Yeah. So it's kind of my kind of core beliefs in terms of a topic that I talk about quite often that the reason, well, just general, generally like in our educational system and in, in like the UK, finance is a very taboo topic. Mm. People don't like talking about it. It's not taught in schools. If it is taught in your school, I apologize. Um, but it wasn't taught in my school yeah. and without talking about the subject or going out and learning it on your own accord, there's very little that you can do. And you'll see so many people are struggling, especially at the moment. We're probably still in the cost of living crisis, all that kind of stuff. So the reason why I go out and just ask people simple questions like, what do you do? How much do you earn? Is that I'm hoping that one of those videos will spark one person's interest to be like, I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that you could get paid that much. Um, I didn't know that you were allowed to talk about how much you earned, even mm. as a as a general topic. Obviously, I try and turn it into a game by guessing their salary and all those kind of things, mm. just to make it easier with the person that I'm talking to. But that's the intention behind it, just mm. to inspire and open up conversation around the topic. I also think it's really good for benchmarking yourself and where you're at as well, because I think looking at like hearing what other people earn, especially if you see someone that's you know doing a very similar job to you, you can be like, ah, oh, they earn that much. Mm. Is that what everyone else around me is earning? And like you can kind of go away and do research and fact check as well. I think it's really great for that as well it's massive i mean there are a lot of companies it's well known that they tell their employees not to talk about salaries in or out the office Mm -hmm. like it's actually a policy now i know that there probably will be some kind of regulations coming in saying that you can't really do that anymore Um, and fair pay and pay transparency is going to become a more regulated subject but whilst it's not or whilst it's in the process i think that like you said just sparking someone being like what the hell? I'm underpaid. That person's mm. got two years experience. I've got five years experience and I'm not getting anywhere near the same pay. Um, and whilst I do like to kind of put an asterisk and say that like work isn't always about money. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's silly um, and a bit naive to ignore the fact that money is a massive part of work. I mean, mm-hmm. just ask yourself right now, like if you were getting paid nothing at your job, would you do it? Most people would probably say no, mm-hmm. they wouldn't do it. Even if they love their job, they'd probably want to do something they love even more if there was no money involved. Um, so that's why I think it's still important to talk about and not ignore mm-hmm. the subject. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we've covered a little bit of your journey there. And then I thought, because we have such a similar kind of mission in terms of getting more people talking about money and stuff, that we would talk through some really popular questions that young people have been asking, they're not sure about. Basically a financial 101. How do you feel about that? Is that okay? <laughs> I mean, I'll give it my best shot. You never know. I'm I'm Googling terms a lot of the time myself. Yeah. I'll, I'll put that out there. I think we there. all are. Yeah. We all are, aren't we? Like I do Google stuff all the time. People think that just because I talk about finance, I yeah. know everything about it. But the truth is, is that a lot of the time it's just a quick Google for me to understand a topic. Maybe that I'm quite good at digesting things and then explaining them. That's probably yeah. uh, one of my strong points. But on that note, I will give whatever questions you have on yeah. that shot. I think one of the biggest ones, and we see it a lot in like the younger generation, is like this pressure to like buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. Like it's, it's talked about a lot as like, that's a big thing that you should do. But like, <laughs> do you think it is better to buy or rent? What's your opinion? I think if you're in a kind of luxurious position to be able to buy, you'd probably opt for that just for the idea of, you know, putting money into something, obviously there's interest payments, but mm-hmm. putting it into something um, instead of 
rent going down the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's quite a classical approach. Your parents will probably tell you that like renting yeah. is throwing money down the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, like property is like the king and all that kind of stuff. But it's funny because about a year ago, I was looking to buy mm-hmm. and I actually very quickly switched my mindset back into renting and I'm renting right now. And I don't think it's throwing money down the drain. I mean, you could even say that buying a house is throwing money down the drain, especially when interest rates are so high yeah. at the moment. So contextually, so it's, I don't think it's black and white anymore. And despite what a lot of older generations tell us when it was a lot easier to buy property back in their generations, yeah. um, when it was three times your salary and not <laughs> 10 times your salary. Yeah. Um, that's why I say it. I mean, it has so many like pros to it, right? You have mm-hmm. the flexibility to move where you want. Um, you might not be paying as much now with mortgage rates to get a, an even better property. Um, you've got no like kind of risk and liability. If something breaks, it's your landlord's responsibility, not yours. Um, there's so much positive to mm. do with renting that rather than all of the fixed costs and money down the drain that goes with buying a property, the deposit, you know, the tax, the investment, the upkeep, all that kind of large amounts of money that you need to sink into a property um, makes it just a very, you know, not clear. My personal answer is when I can buy, I probably will buy. Yeah. But when is the mm-hmm. magic word in that mm-hmm. sentence? It's tricky because you're London-based as well. So how do you feel about like the London property oh, it's market? Horrific. It's yeah. absolutely horrific. I mean, what if, if you want to get like a, an average property, it's what, £400,000 now mm. for like a one or two bed flat. Um, and salaries are nowhere near keeping up with that in terms of being in London. So it's hard. I'm not going to deny it. Um, don't think that you're in it alone if you're finding it hard. The majority mm-hmm. of the country and young people are as well. Um, so just take your time, be sensible, start saving, build a plan. That's the Mm -hmm. kind of things that I tell people. Yeah. And be, like you said, be prepared to flex that plan. Like you have, you've gone, okay, I thought I was thinking I was going to buy actually right now. It makes the most sense for me to rent. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really wise way of thinking about it by going with what, what actually works when you look at the facts. 100%. Um, be flexible. A property, buying a property is a long-term project, yeah. right? You can't just move after two years if you don't like it anymore. You don't like the area. So it's a big decision and I recommend people to take a long time to think about it. 100%. Um, one of the questions that uh, we get asked a lot is often when you're in your 20s, you might meet the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You might spend a short time with some people. How honest should we be about our finances with our partners, with the people we're in a relationship with? I mean, it's quite accurate for me because I got married at the age of 25. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is a very relevant topic. I love financial transparency in Mm -hmm. all walks of life. I think it's a great way to go about it. Um, The more you talk about it, the more comfortable people in and around you will be with it. You don't need to be shouting about it on the internet like I do. I know I'm a bit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But just if you We love crazy. Yeah. If you can open up that subject with, you know, friends, family, parents, partner, that's amazing obviously then you get to like the more nuanced object nuance i said nuance um, <laughs> of do you want to have joint bank accounts all that kind of thing with a long-term partner or potentially if you get married um it's personal i do some people don't yeah. i'm not going to force people either way on that kind of subject but i think that financial compatibility is a large part of a relationship Very true. um finance is because of the taboo nature that I mentioned before, uh, it has a lot of secrets behind it. People don't want to share all these kind of things. And when you are, let's say, looking for that long-term partner and you're fixing yourself with someone for the foreseeable future, um, if you're hiding something from them and they find out about that once they've made that commitment, it can change a lot of things Mm. because you're sharing responsibility, I suppose, from a certain point when you're moving in together, um, if you want to have kids together, all those kind of things. 
So don't maybe talk about it on your first date. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if you think there's a serious relationship happening and you know there's something that should be spoken about, mm-hmm. um, speak about it. Again, I'll share a personal... I was going to say, how soon did you speak to your to your now wife about money? I, I probably couldn't put a number on it, but I was always open with what I was earning mm-hmm. and, you know, opportunities I was getting. I was doing the kind of social media on the side whilst I was kind of the beginning of my relationship with my partner. Um slash we started just before I jumped on social media. And I think I was just keeping her along with the ride in the same way. She was applying to a new job. She was sharing, this is what I'm going to get paid. This is what I'm currently paid. It was just a natural part of our conversation. Um, But now obviously we're married. So to formalize it, I mean, we've got in the diary once a month, like a a finance night. Where we just like take a look at what's going on. What are our goals? How are we doing? How did we do for the month? I have to say, like, out of the past five, we've only probably kept two of them. But just but to still have it in that the you're, diary. You're actually, it's intentional, isn't yeah. it? It's like, you're like, that's your plan. And I guess it brings you into, like, um, harmony, I guess, when you're moving forward. Because you're like, this makes sense for both of our financial wants, needs, things that we want to do with big, our life. a big part of your life. Yeah. Um, so just being comfortable to share it mm-hmm. is going to, you know, that. be better for you than worse. I love that. When you talk about, uh, you know, the very, very basics of uh, finance and stuff like that, probably the first time people will come into understanding finance is when they get that initial payslip. And still to this day, I bet you most people will struggle to actually tell you what is on a payslip. Like, what should we be looking for? What should we be checking? Because everyone, every finance creator that I see on the, on TikTok or whatever, they always say, as soon as you get your payslip, sort out check that it's right first and mm. then sort out all your money into different pots and la la la. That's, but step one is sorting out your payslip, reading yeah. and checking your payslip. What are you looking for when you check? So it's been a long time since I got a payslip since <laughs> I left my job last summer. Um, but obviously, yeah, check that initial one is right. You don't need to probably check every single one because you would assume that your employer has got you on the right code or tax, tax code. code and all that I think kind that's of stuff. the biggest worry for a lot of people. It's that like, is my tax code right? Because am I paying too much tax? Am I paying too little? Yeah, like, I think that's a big, that's a tricky one. The truth is just speak to the experts. I'm yeah. not even personally an expert. So right now I get paid, but I pay an accountant. I yeah. know that I'm not fully equipped to know all of the, you know, intrinsic details. So mm. I pay someone who knows how to do it because it's a very important thing to get right. I don't yeah. want HMRC knocking on my door Hello, you anytime paid the wrong soon. Tax. Yeah. Um, but as someone who's employed, uh, I, I think that 100% you need to pick up the phone to HR on yeah. that first paycheck and just say, quite simply, can you talk me through what's going on here? Mm. I think that firstly, they will say yes, guaranteed, because it's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, it's important for you because maybe you went into a job. Um, I'll give you an example. My first job at Barclays was £36,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it was a good salary. And it's quite surprising when... 36 divided by 12 uh, doesn't end up in your bank account Correct. every single month. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, I signed to a 36k <laughs> job. Um, why am I only getting £2,000? I'm yeah. fairly sure 2 times 12, 24. There's a yeah. bit of a gap there. Um, I didn't do it because I went and researched it myself. Yeah. But to be honest, the quicker route, call HR. They'll talk you through why you're paying what tax. Um, obviously, the key things to look out for, Income tax, national insurance. If you've got student loan, you'll be probably paying some kind of student loan repayment mm-hmm. once you're earning over a certain threshold. Um, those will be the key things leaving it. Any pension contributions, but also jobs have like loads of technicalities. So um, in my wife's job, I know that she gets her base pay and then she gets like a flexible allowance on top. And But that goes to 
towards her pension and towards other kind of like benefits. Mm -hmm. Share, save. You'll have all of these terms thrown around at an employer. Um, And they're really complicated. So just pick up the phone and ask. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Um, You talked, you mentioned there about 36 grand not ending up being divided by 12 and then not ending up in our bank account. Tax brackets then, because they are different. We'll have heard Rishi Sunak and whatnot, this tax bracket's changing and this is going to change. What do we need to know? Because you can earn a set amount without paying any tax then what do we need to know from that point onwards? I feel like uh, I've got to be careful. If my, if my accountant listens to this and I get it wrong. You're like, Gabriel, it's uh, a test. No, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll talk maybe from a, a higher level of something that I found from being on social media and talking about tax. Yeah. Because um, it's a boring topic and people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. However, one thing I've noticed quite evident is the amount of people that believe that going into a higher tax bracket could mean that you're taking home less money. Yes. That's a massive, massive, massive mis- It's yeah. one of my first viral videos, the people being like, wait, I actually said no to a higher salary because I didn't want to move into the 40% tax threshold. For real. Like, um, and my employer didn't say anything. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just said no to their employer. They didn't even ask the question in the first place, which is, it's pretty nuts to think. So if you, firstly, if you're thinking that you're not alone and it's not a stupid yeah. thought because I genuinely had this thought when I was younger. I remember having it being like, mm-hmm. well, if I'm getting taxed 20% at 50K and getting taxed 50%, 40% at 51K, why would I want to earn 51K? Like yeah. surely there's going to be like a bracket where of, of earning that I don't want to be in. So the first key lesson is that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, your tax is marginal. What it means is you are taxed at the lower rate up to the threshold and then you'll only be taxed on the higher rate once you're, of anything you're earning above it. So mm-hmm. to break that down, let's say you were earning 51,000. I don't know there's the exact, I think it's like 50,270 mm-hmm. is the actual threshold. But let's say it's 50,000. Mm-hmm. Anything below 50,000, you're getting taxed on at 20%, obviously, bar the tax-free allowance. Anything that 1,000 above it is the only part being taxed at the higher rate. Mm-hmm. Very important lesson. Don't make that mistake. So that 1,000 pounds is the only bit that's getting the 40%. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So normally, I would say 99% of the time, if you're going up in salary, happy days, well done to you. <laughs> I think there might be some asterisk when it comes to like child benefits and mm-hmm. something along those lines. I don't have children, so I haven't looked into it personally. Yeah. So do... But if you do have kids, check it out. And if there yeah. is something there, maybe look into it. But mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware, if you are... For the people listening to this podcast, if you don't have kids in your in your 20s yeah. and you're getting a high salary, congrats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the question when... So I used to be a teacher when I first graduated from university. And I used to get asked this question probably the most when it comes to, fi- to finance more mm-hmm. than anything. People didn't really understand, basic 101 in my opinion, what the difference between a debit card... And a credit card was like, they didn't understand the two different, different products. So when you're looking at that, what are you looking out for? I think it's so good that you're asking that question, yeah. honestly, because people are scared to ask yeah, they are. that question. They're like, I'm just gonna look stupid. Everyone knows what a credit card is. I'm just yeah. gonna play along and no, no, I know what it is. I didn't know what it was at the start. Um, so, I mean, the simplest layman terms, again, if I'm making some mistakes, uh, I apologize. A debit card is quite literally you are paying from the money in your bank account. Mm-hmm. So if you have £2,000 in your bank account, you can pay up to £2,000. Some banks might give you overdraft allowance, especially for like student accounts, which basically means you can dip into going below zero, but not for too long because eventually you'll probably have to pay interest on that, which mm-hmm. is just paying the money, the bank more money on top of what you owe them. Um, whereas a credit card is borrowing money. So you'll get an allowance called your credit limit. So you apply for a credit card and they might tell you, well done, now you have £2,000 to spend. You're now spending the bank's money or the credit card company's money. Um, 
And you might think to yourself, but why would I want to borrow money unnecessarily? Um, Great question, because a lot of times with a credit card, there's interest involved. Meaning that if you do not pay off your bank account, your your statement in full Mm -hmm. every single month, they will add some money on top of that, which means that you are owing them more than you borrowed from them. So I always say when it comes to my credit card usage, that if I do not pay it off in full every single month, I do not need to use that credit card. And some good ways to go about that is, for example, if you don't have it in your debit card account, if you if you don't have that money in your savings or in your current account, you can't spend it on your credit account because mm-hmm. obviously you're not gonna be able to pay that back at the end of the month. So that's the difference. But then it flips the question, well, why would I want to have that risk? Imagine like one month I'm short and now I'm paying interest. And so firstly, set up a system that you don't get into that position because I know that obviously for a lot of people they are in that position mm-hmm. um, but the reason to use it and the pros are credit card companies tempt you to use their products because they give you incentives cashback rewards you know um, discounts at certain brands air miles you'll hear all of these terms pushed around and the truth is if you can pay it off in full every month and you're able to do that sensibly a credit card suddenly becomes your best friend because mm-hmm. instead of one pound just being one pound one pound can actually work in your favor, sort you out with some free flights somewhere eventually in the long run, end up giving you 1p back every single time you spend one pound. So there's amazing things you can do with credit cards, but you need to know the inherent risks and be able to manage that. Yeah. I don't think we're taught enough about that at school, do you? I I was never... Ever taught the word any of credit that. card ever come up? Absolutely not. It was not. just Jimmy More and his 12 pineapples. Like, yeah, also... Mavs juicy. More that I was scared of a credit card, I think, when I was younger. I think I was, you know, not really sure... Oh God, I can't even do that. Can't even because of exactly what you said. Like I think maybe the risks were talked about a lot more, which is a good thing in some kind of way. But mm-hmm. then, then, then actual like what what the benefits are, or just how to use it like properly or yeah. effectively. Because um, I, I don't think enough people are talking about that. I think some people might be listening, going, "What would be the difference for me to use my student overdraft and a credit card?" Because I think technically, if you're like say your balance is always zero, but you have a credit card that has £500 in it and you have a student overdraft that's £500 on it, people might feel like it's a bit of the same, if that makes sense. Like I wouldn't be able to differentiate, I wouldn't myself be able to differentiate that much myself. Um, I think that's a great question because it's something to be really aware of. Um, Credit cards normally have high interest rates. You can get zero interest rate credit cards, but predominantly, if you can't afford to pay off that credit card in full, you shouldn't Mm. really be using it because it's a spiral. Once you owe money, you start to owe more money and it'll go on in the long run in the long run. Whereas with an overdraft, if you've got, for example, overdraft protection where you can dip into that, I know that that's the case for a lot of students. It's hard to be a student and dip into that. But a lot of these bank accounts will give you a protector. So you can dip into it as long as you pay it off by the end of the year whereas most credit cards you have until the end of the month the month yeah um, so i would normally look at interest rates compare them the lower mm. interest rate if you can find something with a zero interest um rate obviously that's not zero forever you can't just keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing yeah it's probably for a fixed period of let's say 24 months um but look into the one that um is safer mm-hmm. that's always my my uh, love that right. option good advice advice um I think there's, I don't know what you think, but I think there's way too much jargon around money terms. Like any industry that you go into, there will always be some specialist terminology, like, you know, even for podcasting, there's special terminology in terms of, 
you know, baked in ads and host red ads and all that kind of stuff, no matter what you're going to. But sometimes because we all are connected to finance, sometimes when people start using that jargon and it's not terms that we're familiar with, it can feel super overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Is there any jargon that comes to mind that you kind of feel like you've actually done research on recently or you feel like, I wish they really taught this in school? Um, I mean, the classic one that comes to mind is like APR, you know, like with credit cards and... um... I mean, there's so many. I feel like you're going to put me on the spot here and I'm not going to be able to come up no, with any no. others aside from a- that. APR, APR then. Tell us what That's that is. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll get loads. AER, then it's like, this is your interest rate, but then there's also the APR. Yeah. So it kind of, I think it stands for annual percentage rate. Mm. Um, Slated in the comments if that's not correct. <laughs> um, and it's just about kind of the interest that you'll be paying overall, let's say, if you miss the balance. So if you're not paying off in full every month, this is what they'll basically mm-hmm. be charging you. Um, a lot of time, for example, on credit cards, it says like interest rate versus APR, um, where like interest rate is like, oh, interest rate is 20%, but APR is 27%. What's mm. going on? And it's the idea of this is what they're charging you, but sometimes there's fees involved. So a late fee plus um, the fee ah, for the actual yeah. card itself. So they're combining all of that together and showing you the total charge of like kind of interest on that account. Um, obviously, probably based off an example amount and all these kind mm. of things. So that's one. Um, just generally interest rates is a a key one. Inflation. I mean, I can't tell if that's jargon or considered jargon, depending on who you are. I think we've got an aeroplane flying over London. Hello, aeroplane. (laughs) Messing with all of our audio. I think it's a helicopter, actually. Oh. See, the the benefits of, uh, and the perks of recording on site. We got a chance to look out the window again. We do. The biggest heart for us. Guys, if you've just tuned in, you didn't hear our intro. We are sat with the most gorgeous backdrop of London because we've taken the podcast on tour and that was a helicopter going past. And we were talking about inflation. We were. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. You might sound bored, but like we do have like the city of London behind us. Yeah, so it's topical. It is. There you it go. is. Yeah, absolutely. So inflation then, we're seeing it all over the news. Mm-hmm. It's It feels like a scary word. Cost of living it's hard right now, especially for young people. Oh my God. What do you feel like they need to know when it comes to cost of living? Um, I feel like they already know it because it's denting their paychecks badly um, and affecting Mm -hmm. their savings rate. So I would say, what do you need to know? Inflation is high at the moment. We can't get around that. If you're on lower income compared to higher income, you're probably feeling the effects of it much more because Mm -hmm. it's affecting the industries you shop in. Food prices are soaring. Um, energy prices are soaring, hopefully to come down soon. So it's really kind of affecting us. But the first thing to be aware of is this isn't the norm. And this hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, will stop. Will will slow down eventually. Um, But it's at around, I think the latest figures were just shy of 9%, just below 9%. They've been above 10%, 11% Mm. um, in recent months. And it's just the idea of how much things on average cost compared to last year. Um, they just kind of take a bucket of like the most common goods and they average the prices and that's how they calculate it. Um, hope they aim for 2%, which is the normal kind of number. And that's it's 9% what, right now. Yeah, just below 9% right now. Um, so, I mean, again, it's just something to know. It's not going to last forever, but whilst you can, just do everything you can to really save money where you can, whether that's moving into cheaper property. So my my normal tips are, people say, oh, should I just stop buying that Starbucks every every week that I normally get? But what I tell people is, well, are you really enjoying going for that Starbucks? How much is it? Three pounds a week that you're spending on it. Why are you giving that up? You should really be focusing on the three biggest categories that most people spend within, Mm -hmm. which is housing, Mm -hmm. transport, and food. 
those are the three biggest um, that if you can start to take 5%, 10% off of one of those categories, they're going to make the biggest impacts in your life. So for example, if you take 10% off your rent and you're paying, I don't know, £2,000 as a couple for rent, mm-hmm. 10% off that is £200. That's a massive saving. Yeah, it's very different to your Starbucks Compared coffee. to, let's say, that Starbucks yeah. that you um, really enjoy, really look forward to, and it makes a massive difference in your life. Um, so those are the categories that I tend to look out for when it comes to kind of cost of living and struggles. Mm. Really knuckle down on those. I mean, one great example that I love to use is I got my car insurance renewal last year. Um, I was paying £600 for my car insurance. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. They renewed me at £1,200. They, I just called them up. They said, sorry, nothing we can do about it. I went online, literally took me 10 minutes, went online and I typed in everything I wanted from car insurance, all of the things they were giving me, looked on a car insurance comparison website. Another company offered it to me for £450. Called up my car insurance, said, hey, sorry, they offered me for this much. You're offering me for that much. Um, and I remember two years ago, they competed and they dropped their price. That was how I got the 600 in the first place. Um, this time they were like, we can't compete with that. Mm-hmm. I just moved. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's no loyalty It feels there. like a lot of people think, oh, I can't be bothered. Like, five minute, five yeah, minute call to save me t- yeah. over 600 pounds. Yeah. That is the big dance. Just paying in a bit of effort. Yeah. Um, even- also, like as you get older, people in their 20s, I think, well, I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast, but theoretically, depending on where you move about and stuff like that, but theoretically your car insurance should come down as you age, like your car insurance. Remember when everyone, not, like, everyone the like gets their, year. yeah, everyone gets their, their driver's license like 18 or whatever. They start driving the first car and their, their insurance is steep. It's like everyone, like, it's right, like, right, mine so. costs two care, mine costs one. There's, there's, <laughs> there's that conversation, but that should theoretically come down unless you're moving. It's also by postcode as well, isn't it? It's something to do with like where you live. It's a lot of factors, where you live, all that kind of stuff. But if you've had a car accident recently, big picture, as long as you're not like claiming your insurance every single year or you're not suddenly driving a Lamborghini at the age of 22, your car insurance should be coming down every single year. I wish. If you can afford to buy the Lamborghini. Hopefully 20s will get us a Lamborghini one day. (laughs) (laughs) With Zopa written on the side. (laughs) You'll take it. I'll take it. If uh, if it has to have Zopa on the side, I will take it. (laughs) Love that. Um, yeah, those are just like, just, it's really important that you can put an effort into some areas to yeah. really make big savings. Your phone contract's another one. Call up. Look, don't just settle for what people tell you on the phone. Negotiate yeah. everything. I mean, like, don't go into like Zara and negotiate the price of a jumper. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. But like these. I think phone cr- contracts is another one because my phone cr- contract came to an end mm. and they still tried to charge me. It was like, I don't know, it was about like 50 pounds a month ish. Like, I can't remember what it was. And I remember they they wanted to carry on charging me like just that, and I was like, but I definitely know when it came to an end, it was like August of of well, they'll keep rolling it. They probably they will, keep will rolling just it keep rolling it, and like, you just won't notice it. No. So this is like I suppose there'll I'm be giving, something like, in the contract that means they're allowed to do that. Oh, it's a little another little snippet. Um, I spoke earlier about these monthly sit downs that I try and do with yeah. my finances. Another reason you do that is because you notice an expense that's leaving your account that maybe doesn't need to leave it if you checked it like that month. So for example, you might have paid annually for something and then it renews annually for another year because you forgot to cancel it. You only wanted it for one year. Yeah, Don't just sigh. Those ones get me all the time. Call up the company, tell them you made a mistake and you didn't want to renew it. I would say nine times out of 10, they'll be like understood and they'll cancel it as long as you notice it quickly enough. If you're noticing it six and a half months later, they'll be like, well, you've used our benefit for six months. Why would we want to cancel it? You've paid for another year, you're locked in. So that's another reason. I don't tell, like, you don't need to look at your bank account every single day. 
Um, but just to have that bit habit of once a week or at least once a month, mm-hmm. vital. It will save you money. What if you are someone that looks at your bank account every single day? Because I know there are the people on the opposite end of the spectrum. There are some people who completely choose to ignore it. And there's some people who are incredibly anxious that are constantly refreshing, like how much is this and how much is that? Do you feel like that's, which is healthier? It's funny because I've gone through both. Really? I've gone through ignoring it and I've gone through overly obsessing over it. Um in a weird way, I would say the people that probably look at it every day will be in a better position because at least they know. Yeah. But to look at it every day, sometimes that can actually be a good thing. Let's yeah. say it's just five minutes. Check your cost from yesterday. Check there's no like abnormal things. I know my grandpa told me that he used to call up his bank because obviously he didn't have yeah. online banking. He used to call up his bank every single day. Just be like, every single day. Can you just run me through all of the, like, the costs that have come out of it? He actually got hit by a fraud scheme and he caught it by doing that. Legend. Absolute legend. legend. Um, I don't quite know how the fraud scheme happened in the first place. Um, it was actually quite funny. I was working at Barclays, um, obviously not in customer service or anything yeah. like that, in the corporate side of it. And he called me saying, I bank with Barclays. This has happened. Could you get me through to someone? I went, I don't, it doesn't, doesn't work, work like, like that. that. There's like oh, tens of thousands him. of people that work here. So um, that was just like his morning routine then, I guess. He got up, he brushed his teeth, he had his breakfast, went yeah. and then called the bank. And I've done that as well. With online, not so yeah, you can tell yeah. anyone because oh, I'm in my 20s. I don't like to interact with humans. I like to interact with the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to go on my, like, I had, there's so many money management apps that are like yeah. free where you can integrate all of your banks into them. Like, because oh, yeah. people normally have multiple accounts. They've mm-hmm. got a credit card. They've got a bank account. They've got a savings account. Mm-hmm. And you put it all into one thing so you don't have to go into do you have three any apps. Faves or... um, so I worked with them for a long time and I do use them personally right now. Hashtag it, ad. Uh, hashtag <laughs> ad. <laughs> Snoop. Okay. Um, but there are loads. Emma, yeah. uh, I think there's one called like Money Dashboard. Okay. Most bank accounts even nowadays have some kind of interface that shows you your breakdown of spending and you can pull your other bank accounts into it because of new uh, laws yeah, that basically yeah. mean that you can share details like with one bank. Open banking. Open mm-hmm. banking. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't want to use the lingo. Yeah. <laughs> Jargon. <laughs> Definitely didn't forget Open what it was banking. called all of a sudden. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, I think it's been really great to chat about some kind of money 101s, the things that kind of we feel stupid for asking for, are asking about when we're younger. Like these are the things that we should be openly having conversations about with our mates, with our parents, with our with our employers. Like this is the conversations that we should feel comfortable having in our 20s. Quite often it doesn't happen that way, but like that hopefully people listening to this episode will think, oh, I feel more comfortable having a conversation with my mate about money now and not feeling yeah. silly about it. It's the age to ask, isn't it? It is. And also don't feel silly because everyone had to ask that question in the first place to know yeah. what they know. Or Google it and so pretend that if, they did know the answer. Yeah, you can Google it, but a lot of people like don't understand what yeah. they're reading. So just, it's kind of like, you know, when you start a new job and they tell you to come into a call and don't feel silly to ask any question because they know you don't know something. And normally yeah. it's the question that everyone's thinking. Yeah. But you still sit there quietly on mute in your online meeting and you're like, I'm not asking that question. I'll write it down and maybe ask someone later, but it's stupid. Genuinely ask people in the finance industry or ask a friend or a parent to Mm -hmm. just explain something to you that they might know because you're not being stupid. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anything, you're harming yourself more by not asking that earlier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Gabriel, I'd love to chat to you a little bit more about your 20s in particular. I'm sure you've got some fantastic stories to tell us. Um, but I would love to know, what would you consider your biggest adulting failure to date? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> we want juicy, juicy answers. Some people have missed flights. Some people have... Um, me have driven cars into posts and stuff like that when it was like the first time I've ever drove it. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely exposing myself there, but yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't share that, like a different example every single call. To <laughs> no, 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 that is the, the main one. That is the main one. That is my biggest adulting failure for sure. The biggest adulting failure. Um, I'll give you one that mm-hmm. comes to mind because I'm sure there's probably a better one to tell you, but it's not on my mind. I remember the first time that I kind of took a break from social media or I went on a holiday. Um, so I was, a lot of people have side hustles these days. That was my side hustle at the time. Um, and I was going away for two weeks and I was stressing. I hadn't had anything prepared. Um, I hadn't prepared all my posts for that period of time. I didn't know if I could take everything off. Things were going so well. I wanted to post every day, but like I wasn't prepared essentially to go away. Um, so I spent most of that trip stressing, being like, I'm not posting right now. Like, this is it. My social mm. media climb was done. I was doing really well on TikTok at the time. It was about three months in. And I came back from that trip and I sat down, took a breather. And I realized that all of that stress was for nothing. It was actually better that I'd gone away, taken a break. I did a post, nothing really had changed. Everything was fine. Yeah. Um, and I know that kind of sounds like quite a privileged position. Like, oh, I was doing really well on social media yeah. and I managed to go on a holiday and I couldn't stop thinking about But like what I think the lesson or what I'm trying to say from that failure was I probably didn't take in that break as much as I could have. And it would have been so important for me to do that. I'd been obviously going really hard. I was working full time and doing this full time Mm. on the side Um, and to have actually stepped away and been like, it's fine. The break was probably more important than trying to keep up with the Kardashians and just, you know, (laughs) like keep going. So I, I was, you do look like you could be, you know, one of the sisters yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, except the fact that there's no letter K in my name or anything like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was just a bit of a fail. Like I, I went on an amazing experience. I traveled to, it was to Iceland. Like, wow. Like yeah. I really wish I could have taken that in. And you were like of, on your phone. I think we're all guilty of that, right? Like, you know, there's always something that you feel is, because we're all glued to this piece of technology that was given to us and that we've grown up in that generation. Yeah. Like it literally feels like, weird to kind of not be looking and checking and doing all of these things like I'm like I'm really bad for it like I don't have enough separation when I go away I'm going away in a couple of weeks time and I really hope I can put my phone away like and just chill because it's important this is a mental reminder to me I just came back from a trip and again I'm not great preparing up front this is probably what you probably just need better systems in place is what I'm trying to say but I hadn't done anything prepared but this time I was like you know what I'm switching off and I came back feeling so much better. Yeah. Like I'd actually taken a step away from that thing that was consuming a lot of my time. I was, yes, I liked doing it. I like it consuming my time, but you still need to take a break from those intense periods. I also think it's a, it's a better headspace to be in because like it, it's better for when you come back because you're just more creative. You're, you're thinking differently is a good thing and yeah. having a different perspective, environment, all of those things. For me, they're just such a positive thing. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I've came back. I've come back feeling so refreshed. Yeah. I have so many new ideas and passionate about things um, that I feel better than when I went away, um, and I feel better than if I would have continued to think about it the entire time. Yeah. So yeah, take that absolutely. whether or not that's a fail or yeah. not. But for me, um, it was a massive learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the questions we love asking all of our guests is the fact that like a lot of people will look up to the people that come onto the podcast and think, oh, he's smashing it. In the f-. You know, it's everything about finances. And I know you've openly admitted that, you know, you're Googling stuff all the time as well. Mm-hmm. But I think what we really want to put out there from the talk on the Talk 20s podcast is that like none of us are perfect. Everybody's working through something. Uh, is there something that's that's holding you back right now that you're trying to work on getting better at? Something that you feel like is is something that's either annoying you getting you down all these things and you're trying to get better at in your life such such a good question i mean 
I am constantly looking at people thinking, oh, but they look perfect compared to me. This kind of comparison culture of always looking up is really damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sometimes have to take a check in that because there's someone probably looking up at you, regardless of what position you're in and thinking how fortunate they are to be in that position. Um, So nothing is ever perfect. And it's always hard to keep that at the front of your mind, but you probably should. But for me personally, one thing that I'm struggling with right now is focus. So I know I'm very fortunate to be in the position I'm in, but there's so many kind of things and ideas pulling my like brain this way, that way that I want to do that often I find myself a month later down the line or three months later down the line, having done none of them Mm. because there's so many ideas that I want to try and implement. Whereas if I just focused on one thing for the three months, I would have had incredible, I would have had something attainable and probably would have been even further along this journey than I currently am. So that's trying something that I'm really trying to consciously think about to not do too many things at once because that's something that I'm really bad at right now. I'll be honest with that. And I suppose another thing is I talk about it constantly and to keep it money related, this idea of diversifying your income. Mm-hmm. Um, it's constantly spoken about like pick up a side hustle. So like imagine you lost your job, all of a sudden you've got a backup like income source. And to be honest, for a very, very long period until very recently, I had pretty much one predominant income source, which was mm. brand deals through earning from being on social media. Yeah. Now imagine my social media switched off tomorrow. Yeah. That's my income source done. I've now recently started to build a few more, um, which has been really good for me because I've preached about it so much, mm. but not practice what I'm I preach. messing what your other ones are. Yeah, of course. So for example, I've started consulting recently. Okay. I consult yeah. with brands um, or well, one brand at the moment. Um, just to help them with their social media. Mm-hmm. It's a skill that I have and Obviously, it's a skill yeah, I can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, affiliate um, income. Mm-hmm. So rather than just relying on brand deals, um, promoting something off the back of my own accord. Um, I don't know if that's a saying at all, mm-hmm. but the links generate me a small revenue every single time uh, that they're clicked on. Um, another one is a big opportunity came to, instead of, I suppose, a brand deal, it was more like being employed for them to kind of host something that they wanted to do for a long period of time. I won't get to details yet because mm-hmm. it hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. But that's not a brand deal. Like I'm going and doing something separate for them that is taking up my time and resources, but it's a yet another different income source that I can bring in on the side. Um, So yeah, I've kind of gone from- A lot of people are thinking about diversifying their income. I think it's important to note that like a lot of people go, I need to diversify the income and they think it will happen overnight. But I think you've obviously built up those relationships first in order for Mm -hmm. them to be trusted to then go, I'm going to consult or I'm going to be technically employed or I'm going to, you know, with affiliates, you've obviously built up an audience for that as well. Like it's important to to say that like, I think, because I think when I think about diversifying my income, I think, oh my God, like I need to do all these other things. And I think it's just to appreciate that adding them in slowly And gradually, because they're not going to happen overnight. I look at me, I talk about it the whole time. And it took me essentially two years of being on social media to really properly diversify my income. Yeah. Um, It takes a long time. Focus probably is the other key lesson. Mm -hmm. Again, practice what I preach. Um, (laughs) If you can focus on one thing to add on the side, it's important. I'm not saying that everyone needs a side hustle. Yeah. But just to know that there's no such thing as a stable job these days. Um, especially you look at what happened during COVID. Yeah. Uh, you can be in the most stable job. I've been there for so many years. I saw someone at Barclays when I was there that left or w- was told to leave, um, but they've been there for a really long time. Yeah. And it kind of just opened up my eyes to be like, wow, they were a really loyal servant, but there was no need for them at that point. Mm. And they were gone. And it made it very clear why building mm. up multiple sources could be a really good backup plan. Very interesting that you say that you feel like no job is a stable job. I think a lot of people will feel 
maybe a little bit overwhelmed from hearing that. Like, what would you be, be, be your advice if they are hearing that and they're thinking, oh God, no job is a stable job. Like, what, 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 what do I do? Obviously, like I'm saying that with an asterisk, there are more stable jobs and there yeah. are less stable jobs. What I'm normally saying is a stable job um, these days is something considered like you're employed, you've probably been there for a long time, you're very valuable to the company. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is if that company didn't need you, they are fully, fully within their rights to remove you from that company, which is why I mm-hmm. say, and we saw so many examples of that during COVID. So many people lost their job, um, were made redundant because resources were scarce. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, things that you can do to kind of help yourself, prepare yourself. Number one, obviously, just be a really good, if you're in a job, be a really good employer, work like work hard, mm-hmm. do a good job because that will make them want to keep you. But I always say actively, especially in your 20s, look to build skills that are valuable for mm-hmm. the future. Something that kind of combine both being valuable, but also that interests you and you're passionate about. If you can find that blend and do that on the side, so let's say instead of a side hustle, which mm-hmm. is another way of backing up and and making something more stable. If you can do that, then you know that, let's say, if you do ever lose that job, you've now got a brand new set of skills that you could use to find yourself a new one. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really important in your 20s, especially. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Um, So, Gabriel, we've come to the end of the podcast and it has been fabulous chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming in and sitting in front of this gorgeous view. Um, It's been lovely to chat with you. Um, But if you've listened to the podcast before, you're a new listener, we always end the podcast in the same, with the same question that we ask every single one of our guests. And it's, if you could look back at 20 year old Gabriel and you could give him just one piece of advice that would see him through his twenties, what would you say to him? Oh, he needs a lot of advice. 20 year old Gabriel. (laughs) (laughs) It was only like six years ago. Um, I'm going to pick something financially related because I feel Mm -hmm. like it's relevant to this episode. I would tell him to start being more open and talking about money sooner. Mm -hmm. Uh, This social media channel has only come from the age of 23, but I feel like that that was three years of missed opportunities. Um, I learned a lot of things at 23. Some people learn them at 30. Some people never learn them. But one thing I can promise you is that these topics and these learnings will come much quicker to you if you can open up dialogue with your small community about money earlier. Um, you will save yourself many situations. Uh, you will stop yourself getting into bad situations earlier just because you'll be comfortable asking a friend or a parent, this is going on, doesn't seem right. What does it seem to you? And they'll be like, that's not right. Fix that straight away. Mm-hmm. So in your 20s, 20-year-old me, talk about money more because it will lead to better life choices mm-hmm. what a perfect summary to end the podcast thank you so much gabriel it's been amazing to thank chat you, to you for having me if you followed me for a while you'll know this has been a dream of mine since the very beginning of launching talk 20s and it's finally happening we're launching 20s fest in autumn 2023 to attend or get involved head to talk20s.com <laughs> that's the worst move i've ever seen in my life <laughs> Woo!